he went to church every Sunday faithfully, and his neighbor asked him one day in sign language, why, why, do you, why bother go to church since you can't even hear what is being shared? To which Frank answered, because I want everybody to know which side I am on. Now today we will listen in on a conversation that Jesus was having with some Jewish authorities who were refusing to believe that he was indeed God's son, even though he had been going around doing mighty things. If you listen closely, you will hear Jesus say to them and to us, you're either with me or against me. Luke chapter 11. Seems like we've been in Luke chapter 11 forever. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 26. Now he, meaning Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others test, to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The reality of Jesus will always force you to decide. The reality of Jesus will always force you to decide. Now, how many of you drove to church this morning. Can I see your hands? All of you did. How many of you stepped into your car, put your seatbelt on, turned the ignition on, and then put the gear lever into neutral, and then drove to church this morning? May I see your hands? Brandon, you did? Not in neutral. Okay, all right, because I was getting a little, a little worried there, okay? <laughs> all right. Nobody gets anywhere in neutral. You cannot. Now in society, we live in a society that values tolerance. And in such a society, being neutral is attractive. In religious and moral 
dis uh, discussions, we often prefer to remain neutral rather than to step on toes and offend anybody. In settings where there is cultural diversity, we prefer neutrality than, again, offending others' cultures and sensibilities. But you can't be neutral when it comes to Jesus. You just cannot. You're either with him or you are against him. Now, growing up in Nevis, around Good Friday time, we would always sing this hymn, uh, What Would You Do With Jesus? It is a hymn that was based on Pilate's dilemma on whether or not he should condemn Jesus to death um, or release him because he was innocent. And so the two lines in there go like this. What will you do with Jesus? It's a question. Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Now, historically, Jesus was a very polarizing figure. And sometimes we tend not to like polarizing figures. We, we like people who bring everybody together so we can sing Kumbaya. Jesus was not that. He was a very polarizing figure. People, people either flocked to hear him speak, see his power, feel his touch, receive his forgiveness, or they wanted him put to death. Now, Jesus also said some very polarizing things as well. And so to those who thought that he came to make everybody get along with each other, he said this. In fact, he asked this and then followed that up with an explanation. He says, do you think that I have come to, be, to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. It's a pretty, pretty uh, polarizing thing. Now, Jesus was not speaking here about the inability of family members to get along because of family dynamics because of personality differences, because of political differences, or anything like that. He was saying that families would be divided because of him. Now check your own family if you think I'm wrong or if you think Jesus is wrong. Isn't it true that some in your family are for Jesus while others are against him? Isn't it true that some in your family confess Jesus as their Lord while others couldn't care less about him? Isn't it true that some in your family are followers of Jesus while others want nothing whatsoever to do with him? There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. You are either with him or you are against him. Now, the two opening lines in our text capture Jesus performing a, a great miracle. He was casting out a demon out of a man. Luke tells us, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out of the mute man, I'm sorry, when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Now, who was mute, the man or the demon? 
I believe that the more likely interpretation is that the demon had taken away this man's ability to speak as long as he was inside him. But when the demon had been cast out of him, the man regained his speech. Now the point that Jesus wants to make to these Jewish authorities is that demons are subject to his authority. Demons are subject to the authority of Jesus. I think I'd say that a third time. Demons are subject to the authority of Jesus. Now these people, they want to know where Jesus gets his authority to cast out demons. Some are convinced that it is the prince of demons that gives him his authority to cast demons out. Others want Jesus to give them a sign that the power that he had was really from God. And so they are divided over Jesus. Remember that we said Jesus came to, to create divisions? People would be divided over him? Well, they're divided here over him. Which prompts Jesus to, de to make this declaration. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, then by whom do your sons cast them out? The truth is that Satan cannot be divided against himself. Satan would never give anyone authority to cast demons out of anybody. Because if he did that, he would be weakening his own kingdom. He doesn't have that authority to give in the first place, and he would never do that. A family, a kingdom, or a country could never stand if it were divided against itself. Even our great US Army, Air Force, and Navy, if they went to war against each other, it would only be a matter of time before our country fell. So Jesus is saying that he does not cast out demons by satanic power, but by God himself, by God's power. He says, but it is, the it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now notice, it takes only the finger of God, the finger of God, to cast out demons. Imagine what his entire hand can do. If it takes only God's finger to cast a demon out, imagine what God can do with his entire hand. But here's the point. If Jesus cast out demons by the power of God, then it means that the kingdom of God has come. And if the kingdom of God has come, then that forces you to decide. You must decide whether you will enter it or remain outside it. We must decide which side we're on. I'm told that a prominent family asked their son's friend to usher, to be an usher at their son's wedding. And so they trained him that when each guest arrived at the entrance of the church, he must first extend his arm while asking them, are you a guest of the bride or the groom? Now, depending on how they answered, he would proceed to sit them either on the right or on the left. 
And so the day came after all of that training had happened, all, after all that drilling had been done into him. The day came, and he graciously offered his arm to the very first guest that came to the church, asking this question, Madam, whose side are you on? The reality is, Jesus will always force us to decide. We must decide whose side we're on. And how we answer that question will determine whether he will seat us on his right or on his left. Secondly, the power of Jesus can disarm any strong man. When a strong man, fully armed, Jesus says, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. I'm sure that you recognize that if you're fully armed, you are a strong man. You can defend your house. You can defend your palace. You can defend your family. But when someone who is stronger than you attacks you, they could overpower you, disarm you, rob you, and take your possessions. Now that is precisely what Jesus does. That is precisely what Jesus wants us to answer, oh, I'm sorry, to understand in this passage. That Jesus is stronger than any demon, than any demonic strongman. Jesus is stronger than the demonic strongman in this passage. This demonic strongman had overpowered this man. He had taken away his ability to speak. However, what we notice here is that the stronger man, who is Jesus, the stronger man overpowers this demonic strongman and disarmed him of his power and exorcised him from the man. Jesus is stronger than any demonic strongman. And every strongman must bow to the authority of Jesus because Jesus is the stronger man. I believe that I need to remind somebody today that you have a stronger man who has already disarmed and overpowered every strongman who wants to have control over you. Can I say that again? That Jesus has already overpowered and disarmed every strongman who wants to control your life. And notice how he does it. He does it just by his finger. His finger. Your finger is one of the weakest parts of your body. It took only the finger of God to disarm the strong men that are against us. Now here's what the Apostle Paul writes, because I think this is very powerful. Paul wrote this to the Colossian Christians. He wanted them to understand what the power of Jesus, the power of the cross, had already accomplished on their behalf. And he says this to them. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And here's a, here's a, here's a real powerful part. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has already overpowered and disarmed every power that comes against us. And it is because of that reality that, he, that Paul later wrote this. And this happens to be, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, this is my favorite passage in all of the Bible. This is what Paul says. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, in, who indeed is interceding for us. Now notice some things that our, strong man do, our stronger man does. He is for us. He's for us. He's not against us. I don't care what we have done in our lives God is not against us. He is for us. He graciously gives us all things. He's generous. He justifies us, meaning that he has made us right. He has taken away every condemnation. He's declared us righteous. He intercedes for us. We have a stronger man. And since we have a stronger man who is for us, then who can be against us? Finally, the spirit of Jesus must fill every swept house. The spirit of Jesus must fill every swept house. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Notice, to my house. He hasn't given up, even though he has been exorcised from the man, he has not given up the man. This is still my house, he says. I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now, obviously, Jesus compares this man, out of whom he has just cast the demons, he compares him to a house that has been swept and put in order. But here's the question. What, what is the value of a house that is swept and put in order if nobody is going to live in it? It's just going to gather dust again. The tragedy in this story that Jesus tells is that Nothing has replaced the demon that once took up space in the house that is this man's life. The demon has been cast out, but the space has been left vacant. Every swept house and every ordered house that remains vacant is open to being re-inhabited. Can I say that again? If your life 
has been swept clean by Jesus, and you don't take the next step, which we're going to talk about later, a little later, you are being open to being re-inhabited. Which is why the demon says to himself, I will return to live in my house from which I came. In my house. So although he has been expelled from the man, he still regards the man's body as his house. Satan will never give up on any one of us. I don't care how spiritual we are. I don't care how long we have been serving God. He will never give up on any one of us. He's always seeking an opportunity to re-inhabit our house with other spirits more wicked than himself. And Jesus says that if they're given a chance, they will make our condition worse than it was before Jesus swept our house and put, in, put it in order. And so here's the point of all that. When Jesus has swept our inner house and put it in order, he didn't intend for it to remain unoccupied. When Jesus has swept and cleansed and ordered our lives, he did not intend that it remain unoccupied, lest it become re-inhabited by spirits worse than were in us at the beginning. Jesus swept our house in order that he might fill it with a new tenant, a new tenant. You ask, who is this new tenant? I'm so glad you asked because I'm now going to tell you. In fact, it was in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, that God himself said this. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. That sounds like him sweeping our house and making it clean. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Notice the new tenant that he wants to give us now. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God wants to give us a new tenant once he has sprinkled our lives and made it clean. That tenant is a new spirit, God's own spirit. His Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does when he comes to live in us. He will cause us to walk in God's statutes and he will cause us to be careful to walk in God's ways. I want to challenge us this morning to allow this new tenant, the Holy Spirit, to fill our lives and to leave no room in our house, no space whatsoever for Satan nor his evil spirits to re-inhabit. Here's the bottom line of our message. When it comes to Jesus, there is no middle ground. You're either with him or you are against him. There's no middle ground. Here are three things then that you must do. Choose Jesus now. Choose Jesus now. There's a choice to be made. And you are the one that must make it. It is a crucial choice. You must either choose to be with Jesus or to remain against him. You decide whether Jesus is your friend or whether he's your enemy. And believe me, none of us wants Jesus to be our enemy. 
you don't want to be on opposing sides when it comes to Jesus. You want Jesus to be on your side for you. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Who wants to choose Jesus today for the very first time? With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Is there somebody in our church building this morning who wants to say, I want to choose Jesus for the very first time in my life. If that is you, may I see your hand. Those of you who are viewing online, I can't see your hand, but I want to encourage you somehow, some way, to just allow Jesus to be your friend and your savior today. Let us pray. Father, for some person today who has never opened their heart to Jesus, but perhaps today is the time they want to do that, we pray, God, that you'd give them the grace to choose you and to choose you now, to be on your side, and to allow you to be their Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge you this morning to trust in the power of the stronger man. Not the strong man, the stronger man. I believe this morning that some of you are up against some strong man in your life this morning. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. But I want to say to you that there is a stronger man who has already triumphed over the strong man who is against you. He has triumphed over sin, death, hell, and the grave, and he has disarmed their power over you. Now, your strong man this morning may be cancer, maybe depression, pain, sickness, lust, addiction. I don't know what your strong man is, but I'm here to say to you this morning that there is a stronger man who has already conquered that strong man on your behalf. All he needs you to do is to put your faith, your trust, your confidence. Again with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Is there somebody here this morning, you want to say, God, there is a strong man who is after me and has been trying to control my life, but you are the stronger man and I want to trust you to conquer that strong man. If that is you, may I see your hand? I see that hand. I see that one. I see that one. I see that one. I see five, six hands. God, for all those persons this morning who have confessed and agreed with you about what you are saying to them about their strong man in their life, God, I pray that the stronger man, Jesus, would break any chains that the strong man has placed on these lives. Give them the confidence today that you have broken those chains and that they are free. Your word says, God, that nothing whatsoever can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, O oh Lord. And because of your love, we are more than conquerors. We thank you in Jesus' name.
Here's our third and final application point this morning. Let the Holy Spirit fill your house. Let the Holy Spirit fill your house. Now it is good that your heart has been swept clean and, and that your life has been ordered. It is even better to allow the Holy Spirit to fill that space that has been left vacant. Because Jesus cleansed you not so that you can be on your own. He cleansed you so that he might fill you and so that you might walk in his paths by his rules and live life his way. And so I want to challenge you this morning to go after the Holy Spirit. Pray each day that he will, would fill your life, that he would order your steps in the way that God wants you to. Let us pray this morning. Father, again, we commit, we commit your word into your hands. We're so thankful that you have spoken. We have received it. We will obey it. And you will bless us because of it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.